remain standing, if you would, please, as we open our Bibles to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter number 6. What glorious praise we've been able to utter this morning. And I took a moment, I wanted to make sure to say hi to some of the kids and everything. I never get that opportunity. And so I popped my head in the classes for just a moment. When I come back in, just the sound of voices praising our God. What a glorious sound. If that doesn't move you, the sound of His praises being sung, you need to check your pulse. Make sure you're alive. Hebrews chapter number 6. And this morning we're going to be looking at a danger that we touched on a little bit last week, and that's the danger of apostasy. As tends to be the case with the book of Hebrews, we come to yet another difficult portion. This is one of those that if you read 15 commentaries on the book of Hebrews, you'll find 15 different understandings or explanations as to what's taking place here. So chapter 6 has caused many commentators and theologians great pain. And it's interesting, even G. Campbell Morgan in his thick tome on the book of Hebrews just glances over chapter 6. And so I'm not by any stretch of the imagination placing myself ahead of or better than. But I determined a long time ago as I'm preaching through a book that I will not ignore a passage. And I'm going to do the best that I can to the best of my ability. Let's take a look here in chapter number 6. And for context's sake, we're going to start in verse 1 so that we pick up where we were last week. Verse number 1 of the book of Hebrews says, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, and the laying on of hands, and of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this will if God permit. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put Him to an open shame. For the earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh oft upon it and bringeth forth herbs, meet for them by whom it is dressed, receiveth blessing from God. But that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected, and is nigh unto cursing, whose end is to be end. Father, we enter now into a portion of Scripture that can oftentimes cause disagreement, can cause misunderstandings. But Father, we know, Lord, that Your Word, every bit of it, is profitable to us. And so, Lord, what I ask is something that only You can do, and that is to speak through me. But Father, as we get into this passage, that we would begin now to inspect our own hearts to see if there be any wicked way 
to see if there be anything, Father, in us that might be evidential of not having you. We pray, Lord, that you would open our minds and open our hearts this morning. Father, forgive me for anything that might hinder me from being able to speak as of the oracles of God. And Father, hide me behind your words and behind your cross that I may wisely divide the word of truth. And the Father, I would not say anything today that ought not to be said. We pray these things in your Son's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As I said, this portion of Scripture can cause even the greatest of theologians great pains and disagreement amongst themselves. This text being often neglected, uh, the problem, I believe, is when we try to find meaning with the passage apart from the rest of the passage. And this is where I really, uh, I kind of lean on the old uh, adage, context is key. And it's important for us to look at everything in here uh, with, with the rest of Scripture as a whole. And so when we look at this apart from the synergy of Scripture, of the rest of what the Word of God tells us, we can easily make ourselves down a rabbit hole that we ought not to go. But if we were to take and just simply, let me say it this way, let the text speak for itself. Let the text speak and, and, and say what it is saying. Not what we want it to say, not what we would like for it to say, not what would be comfortable for us, but simply let the text speak as it is. If we can learn to do this, there's going to be a lot of portions of Scripture that uh, we might think at one point in time as, uh, as rather difficult to understand, and we can start to pull them out, and some of the misunderstandings can move away. But in addition to that, if I learn to do this, and I learn to let you do this, we can have uh, liberty and respect for one another in the body of Christ. Now, I understand that <clears throat> if you take a different uh, route in this passage, that, that is between you and the Lord and how uh, the Lord is your heart. But what I'd like to kind of do today, if I can, is to give you just several different viewpoints of the text, but then I'm going to give you where I land and why. And so the question that I'd kind of like to begin everything with this morning is simply this, can a believer really turn away from God? Can a believer really turn away from God? Now, this text, and we're going to read just uh, the uh, verses 4 through, uh, through 8 to bring us back to where we're focused uh, this morning. Look at verse 4 with me. It says, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted of the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away, to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh, and put him to an open shame. For the earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh oft upon and bringeth forth herbs, meet for them by whom it is dressed, uh, receiveth blessing from God, that thorns and briars is rejected 
and is nigh unto cursing, whose end is to be burnt. Let me give you just a few viewpoints when dealing with this passage of Scripture. Some uh, will use this text as a proof text that people can lose their salvation. They will come to this text and they will try to, uh, uh, they will try to use it as a way of saying, see, uh, the writer of Hebrews even indicates people can lose their salvation. It talks about being renewed unto repentance, this, that, and the other. But there are several problems that I have with that, and we'll deal with these a little more in depth as we get, uh, get it a little bit further along. But the contradictions, uh, are quickly seen if we simply view this again in context. Look at, uh, chapter number five. Verse 9, and when we were back here in chapter number 5 a few weeks back, we touched base on this. Notice what verse 9 says, talking about Jesus Christ. It says, in being made perfect or complete, in being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Just taking things into context, I mean, I'm, I, I may not necessarily be uh, the brightest bulb in the pack, but last time I checked, eternal meant unending. And so the salvation that is afforded to man is eternal salvation. And so just taking that in, in and of itself alone, I have a difficult time using this text as a proof text that one can lose their salvation. But it even goes further than that. We'll look at this just a little bit more in depth. But I wanted to try to give you just a few uh, uh, overviews of what this passage can sometimes be thought to say. Now, some say that this is only for the Jewish believers who are going back to the temple sacrifices. I understand where that can come into play because what we're looking at is we're looking at the book being written to Jewish believers. And as you read all the way through uh, the book in its entirety, you see over and over again, they are constantly going back to the sacrifices, going back to the temple practices, going back to these dead works. And the writer of Hebrews is trying to explain to them to stop going back. And so some will interpret this to say that it's only talking to those Jewish believers during that first century church before Titus uh, comes along and and disrupts the whole temple system and everything kind of uh, all the temple sacrifices come to a stop. Uh, they 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 will equate this to where it only is applicable to them and no one else. Again, I understand where they're coming from, but I find you there because 2 Timothy 3.16 lets me know that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. If if this portion of Scripture was not profitable to us, what's the point in having written it? And so there needs to come into view. I understand interpretation and application, but what I'm talking about is when people say there is no application this passage to us since we do not find ourselves in the same situation that the early Jewish Christians found themselves. Another viewpoint is based on verse number 6 of chapter 6. Notice the very first word that is found there in verse 6, if. Some will take this as a hypothetical only. And that since the hypothetical situation is, it, it's, he's just bringing up a, hypo, a, a hypothetical situation, then there's really no, uh, no one who can actually go through this or go through that. 
Um, uh, again, what's the point in writing this if there's no real danger around the warning? I don't believe that the writer of Hebrews would give to us any sort of warning. I don't believe that the uh, that the Lord would allow anything to be brought into uh, His Word that is not necessary. And so if we're only speaking hypothetically, but this actually could not happen, I, I find trouble with that. And so before I get into really where I land as far as my viewpoint on this passage, I wanted to look at just a couple things as far as who is the subject of this. Now, <clears throat> this audience is clearly noted. Uh, it's clearly that, uh, seen who the audience that he's writing to uh, is. If you started back into chapter 3, the preacher talks about the rest that is available to the believers, he takes them back, and again, he's speaking to Jewish believers, Jewish converts, he's taking them back to the Exodus, and when they left uh, uh, Egypt and they made their way wandering for, uh, for 40 years because they would not simply enter into the promise that was given to them. But then they came back some 40 years later, and that next generation, they did step out on faith, they did enter into that land of rest. And so he's talking to people, the audience is clearly uh, believers, and then you look at verse number six, and you'll see the very first word, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, and we talked about this last week, the therefore points back to those believers who, in verse number 11 of chapter five, says, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. The writer of Hebrews is trying, the preacher here, he's trying to get into some deeper theology, into some deeper doctrine. He's wanting to teach some deeper truths, but he says, I have to, to go back to the basics again, come back to the starting points again, because you have become dull of hearing or lazy listeners. Now, I want to, let's, let's think about this for just a moment, because many times we are very quick to defend ourself. And let's just make sure that we're all on even playing ground, okay? I want you to think for just a moment, have you ever been presented with the Word of God, be it in your personal studies or a Bible study or a church setting such as this, you've been presented with the truth from God's Word. And while the Word of God was being presented to you, you had something in the back of your mind or even all the way down into the depths of your heart that you knew you needed to take care of. You knew God wanted you to address it. Perhaps the message at that moment was on uh, uh, taking the gospel to other people and God put somebody in your mind that you needed to share the gospel with that week. Or perhaps it was on, uh, on forgiveness, and, and you knew as soon as the message was being presented, you knew God had somebody in your mind. And as a matter of fact, maybe the Holy Spirit is right now reminding you of those individuals. And you knew at that moment there's somebody that you need to forgive. You need to be able to move past. Uh, and and this the Lord is speaking to you and telling you and uh, uh, revealing to you truth, but you did nothing about it. 
then you, my friend, just as I, were a lazy listener, dull of hearing. This is what it's talking about. People who hear, and as James said, yet not do. And so we're called not only to hear the Word of God. Well, I go to church every Sunday. I even listen on the radio. The pastors are preaching on the radio. I make sure to turn it on and tune in to my favorite preacher every single morning on my way to work. Praise the Lord. Are you doing what they're telling you? We're not called to be hearers. We're called to be doers. And so as I look at this and I see that verse, that chapter 6, verse 1, and how it points back to chapter number 5, and those who had become dull of hearing, and yet they, uh, uh, they make their way down, and then he starts to go over the whole idea of milk and meat. Let me give you this uh, real quick understanding of what he is referring to as far as milk and meat. Milk is for infants. Meat is for someone who has grown. Milk is something that is quickly ingested and digested. Anybody ever have a baby? Seems like the only thing you do is buy stock in Pampers because as soon as it goes in, it comes right back out, right? Meat takes some time and effort to digest. Milk, we're talking about the basics of salvation. We're getting everything started, like what we looked at last week, Christianity kind of 101. The meat is a little more patterned after righteousness type of study. I am saved, so now what must I do? I am a child of God, what next? And so as I get into this whole idea of milk and meat, it's important for me to learn that there's going to be a little bit of effort that is required. Have you ever uh, given roast beef to a child and it seems like the longer they chew it, the bigger it gets? And they put that big piece in their mouth and they just chew it and chew it and chew it. It's like a cow chewing its cut, right? And they just, and, Dad, do I have to eat this? Just, just tear it in half and try it again. And then they have to, <laughs> I can't get it done, Dad. And then what do they do? They spit that wad of grave stuff on the plate, right? Ah. And you're just looking at it, and there's a party. It's like, I wouldn't put that back in my mouth. I don't know about you. But then the other part of you, the good dad, that we don't waste food. There are starving children in China that would absolutely kill for that piece of meat that you just spit. And so you reach over, and you take their fork, because you ain't about to put your fork on it. You take their fork, and you start to separate it into smaller pieces, and you say, now work on it. Right? Do you just do you just take a seven-year-old kid and slap a T-bone steak on their plate? What do you do? You take it onto your plate first, or maybe you use their plate, and you take your sharp knife because, God forbid, anybody learns how to use a knife before they're 85 in this world. <clears throat> so you take it, and you put it on your plate, and you start cutting, and you cut it into little tiny manageable pieces, right? But as they grow, they go after deeper and deeper knowledge. You see, this is the whole idea of the milk and meat. Well, Pastor, that's just too difficult for me to understand. You're going back to milk. Well, Pastor, Hebrews 6 is, <laughs> you really want us to learn Hebrews 6? Mm-hmm. It's time for us to move from milk 
to meet. And so getting this into our mind, again, the question is, who is he talking about? So we have the idea of who he's speaking to, the audience. We need to understand who he's talking about in this passage. Again, verse 4, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucified themselves, the Son of God afresh, and put him to an open shame. Who is this they he's speaking of? Now, this is where the disagreement oftentimes come in. Some will say that he's speaking to born-again Christians. Others will say that he's speaking to the unsaved and unregenerate. I'll get back to that. But I want to take a look at a few things in this passage and expose it for just a moment and see if we can figure some of this out as we move forward. There are several other ideas that come into play on this passage that uh, it's dealing with an impossibility of people who were once enlightened and tasted the heavenly gift were made partakers. It's speaking of those individuals and that they fall away and they renew to renew them again unto repentance. And so the question sometimes comes up in that, what is this actually saying? Let me give you the two more predominant uh, applications of, of this uh, passage. One is that one who is truly saved yet holding to willful sin will not be able to grow mature or will never have a right relationship with Christ until they repent. Now, I don't disagree with the application, but I don't think that that's what the writer of Hebrews has in mind specifically. That statement may be true. As a matter of fact, I believe it is true. Anyone holding on to willful disobedience stunts their spiritual growth. Another uh, approach to this is that the individual who tastes and comes to the point of repentance but rejects will never get to that point again. Here's what they're saying by that. You are witnessing to someone, trying to lead someone to the Lord, and they come right to the threshold. They taste and see, but they have not yet ingested is the idea. That they taste and they said, I believe Jesus can save. I believe he's the only way. And they get right to that threshold of repentance, but then they say no. And they step away. The idea there is that you will never get them back to that moment again. They had that moment, they had that opportunity, and they lost it. It's no longer coming back to that stage. So some will go that direction with it. Again, I don't necessarily disagree with where people are coming from on that, but I, again, don't believe that this is exactly what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. Notice something that is evident in this passage and through the rest of Scripture. Look at verse 6. If they shall fall away... It is evident in Scripture 
that men often do fall away. Now, we're not talking about fall, okay? You and I will fall at times. We will mess up. We will sin. We won't be perfect. We don't make it to perfection on this side of glory. We move toward perfection, but we won't be fully perfected until we are with Him. But we move toward it, or we should move toward it. If we are not progressing toward perfection, this is what we were talking about in chapter 5 and the beginning of chapter 6. But man does fall away. Keep your hand here in Hebrews and look with me at 1 John, please. Just move a few books toward the back and you'll find 1 John. Look at 1 John chapter number 2. Notice, uh, let's just start reading with me in verse number 1. Follow along if you would, please. My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Again, he said, we hope that you don't sin, but if you do sin, we have an advocate. So again, people will fall. Verse number 2. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. It's an interesting statement that many times we want to excuse our fellow man because we want ourselves to be excused. What does it say there in verse 3? Hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. In other words, if I'm not keeping his commandments, how do I really know if I know him? I don't. I don't. That's, that's hard pill to swallow, isn't it? Continue with me here. Verse number four. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. Drop down, if you would, please, to verse number uh, 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Drop down to verse 18. Little children, it is the last time, and as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now there are many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out, that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. John makes it very clear that those who walked away from the faith were not of them. Those who walked away were never one of God's. And so the idea here is that man can 
fall away. Now, this is a difficult concept sometimes for us because we insert a lot of other things into it. And so let's keep looking at this because we don't want any misunderstandings as far as improper doctrine. Go back again to Hebrews chapter number 6 with me. And I want you to see verse number 6. It says, If they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put Him to an open shame. We need to get the, the sentence structure correct. Important for us to catch the sentence structure. Notice what is being said here in verse number 4. For it is impossible. Stop. What is impossible? That's the question we ought to ask. Is he saying it is impossible to be enlightened? No. Is it impossible to taste the heavenly gift? No. Notice the connection. It is impossible for these individuals, if they fall away, verse 6, to renew them again. When we read Scripture as it's written, we come to a certain conclusion. When we read what is there and not what we think might be there, we come to a better understanding of what's going on. Notice very quickly, it's impossible to be renewed should this happen. I want you to see this. Not my words, but the Word of God states that if someone falls away, we need to understand what that fall away is first. For someone to fall away, it is impossible to get them back. Now, going back, I made the statement that some people will use this passage to defend the idea that a person can lose their salvation. But I want you to realize something. Anyone who believes they can lose their salvation also believes you can gain it back. This passage, unequivocally, without question, lets it be known, if you can lose it, you cannot get it back. (laughs) That changes the game, doesn't it? It's one thing for me to say, I can lose my salvation and then go get saved all over again. Then that is, my friend, putting Christ at an open shame, re-crucifying Him over and over again. This is something that we must not do. We need to understand that the salvation that is afforded to man, it was appointed unto man once to die. And Christ died once. We're going to look at that once here in just a moment. But he does not need to be thrown on the cross day in and day out. And when I find myself, well, I guess I lost my salvation. I need to go get it back. I must realize something. It is impossible to get it back if you lose it. This is not something that is palatable sometimes. It's it's easier for me, Pastor, to... Nothing's impossible for God. But wait a minute. God's Word says 
He offers. He calls. He compels. But he does not force himself. Ever. And if a person comes to the place where they say, I want nothing to do with it, God will say, okay. He's not going to make you get saved. He's not going to make you come to him. He's not going to make you do anything you don't want to do. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, there are many, there are two types of people in this world, many who will say, all right, Lord, thy will be done. But the other type of person is the one to whom God finally says, okay, have it your way. Now, I want you to notice something in this. The idea here of something being impossible, it's, it's the uh, Greek word adunaton. The adunaton is emphatic. There is no question about it. And the word literally means no ability found, an impossibility, no way possible. This is what the word means. And so if one can lose their salvation, they can never gain it back again. You see in verse number one, uh, or chapter number one, verse number three. I want you to notice something here. Chapter number one, verse three. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, upholding uh, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sin, notice this, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. This idea is that Christ finished the work. What was it he said when he was on the cross? He said, tetelestai, literally meaning paid in full, nothing remaining. Have you ever gone out to eat with someone and they, it's funny, when, uh, when ladies go out to eat, they break out the pocket calculators. When men go out to eat, they argue, I'll it up. Oh, no, I, you got it last time. I'll get it this time. And then we go home and our wives are like, he ordered a T-bone. You paid for that? Yeah. And so you get, it's like, I'll pay for it. Well, at least let me cover the tip. All right, go ahead. You can cover it. The, there was nothing left. He paid it all. It's done. So much so that when he paid it, he sat down. Finished. Done. Christ paid every portion of it. And so for uh, this to happen, for uh, someone to say, I can get saved, lose my salvation, and then get it back, notice what it says. If they shall fall away in verse 6 of chapter 6, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and shame him. It is a shame to say that I can just do whatever I want willy-nilly. It is a shame to go back over and over and over again. It is a shame to put him back. Think of the shame and the humiliation that he went through on the cross. If I got saved, but it wasn't strong enough to keep me saved, then he has to go back to the cross again to save me the second time. And I am guilty now of humiliating 
the Savior. Notice something else with this. Look at chapter, let's, let's make a quick trek through Hebrews real quickly. Look at chapter number 9. If you were to read through chapter number 9, you'd come to the place where um, the sacrifice is being made, uh, and they were... Um, look at verse 23. Let me just give it to you this way. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves were better sacrifices than these. For Christ is not entered into the holy, uh, into the holy place made with hands, which were the figures of of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us, nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place uh, holy place every year with blood of others, for then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself, and it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. Pause for station identification before we go into the next verse. Verse number twenty, uh, verse number twenty-five and twenty-six. Let it be known that he does not have to be offered over and over again. That's what mass is. They believe that the offering of the Eucharist is literally Christ's sacrifice again and again and again. My Bible says otherwise. Look at verse 28 now. So Christ was offered once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. How many times was Christ offered? Once. Don't just look at chapter 9, jump on into chapter number 10. Look at verses 10, uh, 10 through 12. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offer, offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. Again, done. I made the sacrifice once, it's done. Look, uh, look with me, if you would, at Romans, the book of Romans. Go back to Romans chapter number 6. <clears throat> I love the sound of pages turning. Romans chapter number 6. Look at verse 10. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he lived, he liveth unto God. He died once. His one-time death was good enough to save me. And his one-time death is good enough to keep me. I got no problem with that. None. But again, the question comes in here at Hebrews 6. 
Well, let's understand salvation a little bit more. You're in the book of, he- or book of Romans. Stay there for a minute. Go to chapter number 8. According to Romans chapter 8, God justifies. The idea of justification is to be made right. We use the, uh, uh, the uh, little uh, uh, cute saying, it's just if I, just if I, just if I'd never sinned. And so in God's sight, I am no longer, we say things like, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. No, 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 my friend. In God's sight, I am perfect now. That's what just means. He doesn't look at me and see a sinner saved by grace. He sees the righteousness of his dear son applied to my life. That's what he sees. Look at Romans chapter number eight, or yeah, Romans chapter number eight. Look at verse number 31. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, against us, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. This is what takes place when I am born again by the Spirit of God, truly born again by the Spirit of God. I am robed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That is justification. That is a done deal. When God justifies, nothing else is necessary for my justification. Now I move to step number two, sanctification. Sanctification is that progressive work that is constantly making me more and more and more into the person of Jesus Christ, making me more like him, making me reveal him a little bit better. And so to put things this way, getting to that justification standpoint is my milk portion. Sanctification is where the meat comes into play. How do I work out what Christ is trying to work in? I have to chew up meat. I have to start digesting some things. But look at, look at Romans 8 and 35. It says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. My friend, those who have truly been born again by the Spirit of God, there's nothing that can separate you from it. Nothing. If you've truly been born again by the Spirit of God. And that's the question that comes into play. If you have been born again by God, you have been justified. Nothing separates us. You see, John chapter 10, talking of the good shepherd, it says that they are in the Father's hand. You see, the question that comes into play is, can I hold on to God strongly enough? It's not a matter of your ability to hold on to him. It's about his ability to hold on to you. Do you question your ability? I question my ability, but I do not question his ability to hold fast to me. 
So coming back, again, making full circle, I believe the writer here in Hebrews chapter 6, the writer of Hebrews is talking about people that you look upon, that you know personally, you work with in the ministry, you've studied alongside of, people who maybe were part of your church family. At one point in time, they may have been your Sunday school teacher. Can you think for just a minute about the disciples? Nowhere in any of the Gospels, nowhere, is there indication that the other disciples knew Judas was going to betray. Nowhere. As a matter of fact, at the Last Supper, <clears throat> the, uh, uh, the disciples were all talking, and Jesus says, one of you is a devil, one of you is going to betray me, and not a one of them went, that's <laughs> Judas. And we, yeah, he's talking about Judas. Rather, they said, me? Me? Is it me? Is it, is it, am I the one? It was a shock to them when Judas was the one. They were dumbfounded. And I believe wholeheartedly, you and I, my friend, will be dumbfounded when we enter into glory. And oftentimes you'll hear preachers say things like this. The two people that you're going to be surprised are the people that you see there and the people you don't see there. Let's make it real. The truth is found in Matthew chapter 7. Look there with me as we make our conclusion. So this term to fall away, again, is not talking about a backslide. It's not talking about a failure. It's not talking about messing up and sinning. We're all still in this flesh. We will battle sin till the day we die. That's not what we're talking about. So if I sin, does that mean I'm not saved? It could. But it could also mean you're a sinner, like me. <laughs> well, we have an advocate. The question he's talking about is not the fall, but the fall away. You've known those individuals perhaps in your own life. Someone who was at one point in time dead set. But something in their life made them reject. And now I want nothing to do with the church and with the things of God. That's who we're talking about. We're not talking about that young man who is backslidden or struggling. We're talking about the one who has seen Christ. They said tasted. It's not just a taste but not yet ingest because Christ tasted. Same word is used. Christ tasted death. Does that mean that he just came to the precipice of death but didn't exactly experience it? No, 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 no. Made partakers of the Holy Ghost. We're talking about people who they believe with all their heart they are born again by the Spirit of God, but then they come to this place where they say, you know what, I don't want anything to do with it anymore. I wash my hands. It is impossible for that to happen, and they were not His. 
And so if you know those individuals who, well, what about this person? What about that person? I know they, they used to serve the Lord. They taught Sunday school, but now they claim that they're an atheist and they don't want to have anything to do with God. They don't want to have anything to do with the Bible. And they say all these, well, do you think that maybe they, they're saved? No, I don't. Because my Bible says that's an impossibility. Living a backslidden life, living carnal, is one thing. But to reject and say, I want nothing to do with it anymore, my friend, that's an impossibility for a born-again believer. Look at chapter 7 of Matthew here. Look at verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me ye workers of iniquity. My friend, he doesn't say, I used to know you. He says, I never did. These are people who prophesied, preached. These are people who did wonderful works. They were the Sunday school teacher. They were the ministry leader. They were the coordinators. They were the ones who, they they never missed a Sunday. And Jesus said, I never knew you. And so here's where we've got to get things understood. Are you ready for this? Quit worrying about what the other person is doing. Quit worrying about what's taking place in their heart. Quit thinking about, I wonder if they've got it under control. Get it for yourself. Because we're talking about an eternal destination here. Do you want to hear one day, Jesus, look to you and you say, but I did all these things. I used to teach. I used to go. I, I, I drove a bus. I did this. I did that. And I gave so much to the church. I never missed a Sunday. And he said, but I didn't know you. There's a sad and scary truth found in here. And one of the biggest issues is that word right there, 22, many. Listen, I hope that every single individual here under the sound of my voice is born again by the Spirit of God. That is what I truly pray and hope. But I would not love you if I did not ask you, are you sure? Are you sure? What about you personally? Do you have a hunger for God's Word? Do you? At least these people were hungering for milk. 
maybe there's no hunger in your life. I, I really don't desire. I've not tasted how good God's Word is. I, I really don't. Eh, we got to read the Bible again. If there's no hunger, there's probably no life. And maybe it's time for you to get some life breathed into your dead body. Do you have a desire to obey Him completely? Do you have that desire? Now, we're trying to make things personal here. We're not looking at the other individuals in the room. We're not wondering about anybody in our homes. I'm asking you, do you have a desire to obey Him completely? Or are you continually saying no to the thing that He's putting into your heart? A while ago, when I was talking about being dull of hearing, you know that one thing that you knew? Like, oh, He's talking about this. You ready to obey it this time? Do you seek opportunities to grow? Or are you happy to just remain as you are? I'm okay. I'm okay. I, 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 yeah. Here's how you know if you're stagnant. Uh, today's message really wasn't for me. Anytime the Word of God is opened, it's for you. And I must take it personal. Last, is there fruit indicating growth in your life? Is there any fruit indicating growth? How are you growing today? Look for today's fruit. A fruit tree didn't used to produce. It produces. Is there continued growth in your life? Listen, this is absolute. Absolutely necessary. We need to take this very seriously. And so what's the writer of Hebrews talking about here? I believe based on the context as a whole, the writer of Hebrews is saying what Paul said in 2 Corinthians, examine yourself. He says later, he says, we hope better things for you that you would do things that accompany salvation. What accompanies salvation? Growth. If there's no growth that accompanies salvation, is their salvation. You examine yourself to see if you're of the faith. Ask Him to show you and be honest. And if you don't find evidence and fruit in your life, get it taken care of today. Don't delay it. We have a wonderful God who not only can save, but He can keep. The question is not, can He keep? The question is, are you saved? That's the question. And only you can answer that.
Father, I pray, Lord, that You were pleased in how I handled the Word of God. Father, this is a difficult topic, but it's one that we must examine. Father, as we come to this portion of the service where we where we decide individually what we're going to do with the truth that we have been presented. I pray, Father, that You would stir in hearts. God in heaven, those who have become dull of hearing would wake up. Quit being lazy. That those who are continuing to go back to the milk God, You would give them a renewed desire to dig deeper into the Word of God. That those, Father, who may not truly be born again by the Spirit of God, that You would expose that to them. And that, Father, those who are born again by the Spirit of God, that they would rest in the truth that You not only can save, but You can keep. Father, do with this invitation time what You will. For we give everything to You. It's in Your Son's name we pray. Amen.